0: Just go to ramp.com slash easy, ramp.com slash easy, ramp.com slash easy. Cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. This is Football Social Daily, the Premier League podcast. Christmas may be over, but there's still plenty of festive football to feast upon in the Premier League. They say that this is the time of year about the gift of giving. Well, Sheffield United's generosity of gift wrapped goals was gladly accepted by Luton Town. They also say Christmas is about miracles and lo and behold we saw one at Old Trafford as Manchester United came from two goals down to go on and beat Aston Villa and the added Christmas cheer of Jim Ratcliffe's Ineos deal was given the green light too. Rejoice! And forget Christmas season, it was Chris Wood season at St James's Park as the ghost of players past came back to haunt Newcastle, Santo Claus bringing smiles to Forest fans' faces yesterday. This is FSD, the award-winning Premier League podcast I hope you all had an excellent Christmas My name's Niall and I'm joined by the Scrooge of the show Joel Tudor and forget Jacob Marley we've got our own Marley Marley Anderson Merry Christmas lads
1: Merry Christmas Merry belated Christmas I just wanted to find out what you all got because I know I didn't realise Marley ordered three planks of wood to be collected from St James's Park (laughs) at the weekend
2: It's nice that one of your 72 million pound planks of wood scored a goal (laughs) at the weekend and paid back his entire uh, Transfer fee. It can't be anything worse than your former player you kicked out, going
1: and scoring a hat-trick. And one of those goals, we'll get into that, but one of those goals, I thought it was
2: Messi-esque. My God. Uh, yeah, I didn't have Chris Wood turning into Ronaldo on my Christmas list, so I'll, I'll give you that. <laughs> no.
0: Well, it's not quite a Monday, today's a Wednesday, but we're at that period between Christmas and New Year when nobody knows what day it is, nobody knows what on earth is going on, but what we do know is that there's plenty of Premier League football to get stuck into. We'll look back at some of the most entertaining fixtures over the Christmas period shortly, mainly those Boxing Day festive fixtures a bit later in the podcast. But first, why not do what we always do in the first podcast of a week, which is get in the sea. So what are you two Ebenezer Scrooge is gonna throw into the sea? from the last day or two of Premier League action? Because there are games tonight, of course. So you never know. You might wake up in the morning and be like, right, let's do it all over again. I've got something else to throw in.
2: Uh, I, I'm going to throw in just our defending. Newcastle's complete lack of defence. It's came from nowhere. I don't, we just seem to have forgot how to defend. And I'm just looking at the table and we're, we've we won nine games this season. We've lost eight. And I think, I think we lost five last season, um, you know, to... It's been a real drop off, and uh, I'm a little bit worried about where, about how we pick this back up now because we're down to playing one game a week. It should help us, um, but it seems to be sort of hindering us at the minute. We don't look threatening, um, and obviously, you know, if Chris Wood's dribbling through you like you know like gravy dribbles over your Christmas dinner, it's just a sign of how bad you defended that he's he's just he's done. Very little for the goals and just been presented with them. Um, so that'd go in the in the sea for me. Just the way the drop off we're having at the minute, I'm not quite sure where it's come from. But yeah, we need to arrest the slump pretty quick. To be honest, because you know everyone likes a slump over Christmas. You all run out of energy and what have you. But it looks like we've been we've been stuffed full of turkey and uh, and are just have nothing left really but that's
0: the thing with Christmas Marley doesn't matter how full you are when the cheese board comes out you have to dip in again and you have to keep going that's what Newcastle have to do even though they're stuffed full with injuries and they're probably tired and they've had as many games as any team in the Premier League once those Pringles come out those Twiglets those Quality Street you've just got to keep going find a way to eat a little bit more
2: yeah we needed we needed to look at Nottingham Forest like they were a a tin of cheese trees Cheeslets or Treeslets, whatever they call it, <laughs> Christmas or or a quality street or whatever. But instead, we looked at them like they were flipping Everest and made them look. I mean, first half they were awful as well. They were genuinely they were terrible, and we were all over them. Second half it comes out and it was just that slump. It was we went down and they went up, and it ended up ended up three one. But yeah, what what can you do? Can I ask you
0: about the booze at Saint James's Park because? You might want to put Newcastle's defending in the sea. If I was in your position, and this might even be my get in the sea, those fans at St James's Park who have decided to boo the team after a 3-1 home loss. Newcastle, with the form they've been in in the last 18 months, should not be losing to Nottingham Forest. But everyone knows the injuries. Everyone knows that Eddie Howe is doing an excellent job with the squad of players that he's got. How frustrating is that to hear boos from the Newcastle fans? I know football's a fickle game. Why are they booing? I understand that they've lost. And you know, it's not nice to see your team lose at home in any circumstance and yes, it's a poor run of form. But I think booing's a little bit much, isn't it?
2: Yeah, I think um it splits the fan base as well. Like, you know, you you're seeing a lot of fans being like, Why are we booing? Like, remember where we were and how you know, how easy we've we've had it in the last couple of years sort of thing. And you see seeing others saying, Yeah, but if we're crap, I'm gonna boo like and it's sort of both right in a in a way. Um but, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's a bit far. It's a bit far sort of booing because, ultimately, there's if there was no explanation as to why we're, we're struggling and slumping a little bit, then fair enough. Boo away. But when the same lads are playing, you know, the 15th, 16th start in a row, and you're asking Albaron and Gordon, like, Gordon, people forget... Anthony God played all summer. He didn't have a pre-season. That's why he's been so good at the start of this season. He played the um, the of 21s and won that with England and won player at the tournament. So he's been playing football solid since last June. Um, so last August, whenever the season started. So he's been playing solid football for uh, 15 months now, every week. So obviously his batteries are going to run low. Um, same with um, with a few others. You know, they've played solid football all the time and you're asking Almiron to to go again and you're asking a half fit Wilson to to chip in and stuff like that and he's at coming back from little injuries here and there and Bruno Gomares and all them so it's you know then you've got a full 11 out out injured as well so there's there's reasons why we're, we're struggling a little bit but you know it, it's it is frustrating to see the uh to see the booing, but there is a couple of things you you can boo. Like Dan Burns been horrendous since he came back. He's cost us cost us two goals yesterday, um, and Tina Liveramento sat on the bench, and you know that is a source of frustration. I think he should be playing, but. That is what it is.
0: Well, in the chaos of the Christmas period, things can change so quickly in the Premier League. Look at Newcastle. They've now lost four of the last five games. I'm sure we'll come on to it shortly. But Luton have now won the last two. And that points gap that they had between themselves and Everton in the relegation zone has now been cut dramatically. So there's so much to be said for this Christmas period in terms of how it can change. But we'll get on to that shortly. First of all, I want to know what you're throwing in the sea.
1: I've got... Not a get in the sea, I've got a bit of a a crate. You know, those shipping containers that they have. I just wanted to throw a few in there, just short and snappy ones rather than one whole one. (laughs) So first of all, it relates to Christmas a little bit of a anecdote. Do you ever hate those relatives where you know that they've passed on a gift that they've received from someone else and they give it to you and you know for sure they've not gone out and bought that new, they've passed it on to you and said, oh, I know you like these. I don't like Black's chocolate. For anyone who doesn't know, it's like such a niche chocolate that nobody likes. My grandma got it me and I pray to God she doesn't listen to this because I'm never getting let in her house again. She got me this like assortment of black chocolates, like orange flavoured, Turkish delight flavoured. When on earth have I ever said that I liked those? She always thought I loved Toblerone. She like, do you like Toblerones? Because I hate it. She I think they're niche, very the, overrated to be fair. Oh, and they got smaller and smaller as the years went on. She got me them for fifteen years straight, and I didn't have the courage to tell her that I don't like them. So I had to kind of hint it, hint it <laughs> to my mum to say, "By the way, I really don't like those Toblerones that your mum always gets me." <laughs> What's this th- got
0: to do with the Premier League? By <laughs> <way>? <laughs> no,
1: that's that's my getting the <laughs> absolutely <today. laughs>
0: nothing. Although on that, whilst you're on that rabbit hole, after eight minutes, do oh, not they're understand
1: awful.
2: it. They are awful. What on what planet should? you? yeah. You milk, may as well go and chocolate. brush your teeth. Right. I'm with you yeah if you yeah they they do affect the taste of everything you have in the next half an hour or so if you have one i had a
0: curry with a few mates before christmas and you know at the end of an indian meal when they bring the bill and then they bring around those little square chocolates i like pray to the lord that they're orange chocolate and not mint chocolate because mint chocolate just ruins my whole evening. It's the last thing I taste before I leave the restaurant. And I'm like, why? You, know you don't have to eat so it. So when they're chocolate orange. Yeah. I know, but you do, don't
2: you? You put it in your pocket and walk yeah. out. What? <laughs> leave it to yeah. melt. You find it in two weeks You find time. it when you put your, your pants in the wash. <laughs> no. Oh, no. You
1: just find it just folded over like a deck chair, isn't it? From all the melting that has just happened. For anyone who doesn't know, they're just wafer thin chocolates with like a sheet of minty
2: fondant Joel have you got anything football related you're actually putting in the sea or you're just gonna you're just putting your grandma in the <laughs> yeah, sea sorry I just, I just wanted to keep with the festive theme because now has got a massive Christmas
1: tree just blinking at me on the camera
0: <laughs> sorry I love how I'm supposed to be the presenter of this show and Marley's just like right come on boys let's Marley's get keeping back on it back he's not even meant to be in today
1: um, sorry my second one Another short and snappy one, the Aston Villa fans. Your other grandma. <laughs> <in> your <laughs> I really hope my family isn't listening to this. My second one is the Aston Villa fans at uh, Old Trafford yesterday. I know we've got a few diehard Villa fans listening to this. For anyone listening, sorry, not sorry for the fact that your Villa came to Old Trafford and we gave you a little bit of a reality check. But the Aston Villa fans <laughs> at 2-0 were saying, you've only come to see the Villa or you've seen the Villa now. Mm, oh, oh. That was after, what, 30 minutes? And isn't it crazy? is it beautiful how football just has a way of turning everything on its head? And suddenly it was the United fans <laughs> that were singing it to the Villa fans. Love that moment, really great festive cheer. And then the last one, I don't think we touched on it, the Arsenal-Liverpool game from a few days ago. There was a moment in the game where Liverpool seemingly had around eight players counter-attacking just Declan Rice. And they just wasted it completely. There's that really funny screenshot of about... It looked like a, you know, in rugby where they're all lined up. (laughs) It looked like Liverpool fans were just lined up like rugby players. (laughs) And Declan Rice was the last man just like Bambi on ice looking at headlights. And they somehow messed it up. And of course, Arsenal fans managed to make it about themselves. And the fact that Declan Rice is some gladiator who managed to put his stick out like Moses part in the sea. And it was all on him. And he managed to stop the counter-attack. It wasn't because of him. It was because Mo Salah just had too many choices and he messed it up. But, yeah, getting the C to the Arsenal fans as well. Everything that they touch suddenly is the best in the world. Every game, best performance in the world. Best manager in the world. Everything's top, top. The biggest superlative for everything. So, yeah, that's my three getting the C relatives, Aston Villa fans, and Arsenal fans. Hopefully, there's enough room in there for them all. I think my
0: getting the C would kind of be similar to that, really. It's the way Chelsea have been playing. I thought, you know what? I haven't watched a lot of Chelsea in the last few weeks. i have a watch, sit down, see how they play. And they're just so slow and laboured, and they've clearly got talented players, but the way they were moving the ball, they just didn't look at all disciplined. And then I was looking at the highlights back of the first half chances, and Raheem Sterling runs through. This is an experienced player, very similar to the Salah situation. He's running through, but in this situation, he's one-on-one, Joel, and he doesn't square the ball. He's got two players up with him. He decides to take the shot on his own. Chelsea score. That changes the complexion of the game. They score the first goal. Wolves don't have anything to hang on to. They then have to chase the game, which, if anything, will suit Chelsea because it leaves Wolves a little bit more exposed because the problem Chelsea had was that Wolves had so many players pack in the edge of the box. They couldn't break through. And eventually they did get across into the area and Kunku scored, actually, his first goal for Chelsea, which might be a positive for them. But generally, that moment from an experienced player like Sterling, square the ball. And if you score that chance you've got a great chance of going on to win the match.
1: It's unforgivable those moments, isn't it? Especially when you look at the scenario that's that Chelsea are in. It's not like they're creating a tons amounts of chances like City are for example. Like that moment could have changed the whole standpoint of the game. And when you look at Chelsea in the Premier League at the moment and the position that they're in, these are the moments that you have to take 11th position on 22 points. And when you look at the starting lineup as well, it just feels to me like Pochettino He doesn't even know his strongest eleven. He's still tinkering. And you know what? Understandable, considering the amount of players that have churned in the last year, brought in 15, sold 15. He's still trying to find his way. I know Nkunku came on, got a goal right at the end as well, which I think is really promising for them going forward. But when I look at that team on paper, there's only one real leader in there, like a bit of experience, which is Thiago Silva and Raheem Sterling, let's say. And the rest of them are almost like the kids that they're almost in nursery and they're having to kind of bring them with them. And it just feels like a team that just needs major maturity. We saw it, for example, against Spurs when Spurs went nine men down and Chelsea, for the life of them, just could not handle that high line for such a large amount of the game. And I remember Gary Neville on commentary saying it just looks like men against boys for a lot of period where Tottenham knew how to manage the game Okay, inevitably, Chelsea ended up winning the game. But Chelsea just didn't know how to react to it. And it just feels to me like they're, just, they're lacking that maturity. And I feel like for Pochettino, and looking at the way in which Boley has managed the previous managers and how quickly he's got rid of them, I'd be very surprised if Pochettino's not on thin ice at the moment. Because to be to spend all that money, I think Bowley was looking for a bit more of a quicker return. I'm not saying top four, but at least show some kind of identity in the play because it's weird for me because Chelsea look really good one game and then the next game they're going to get battered by Wolves or Luton and you'll think, where's, where's that great performance just gone? It's a strange one, even when they came to Old Trafford, very strange performance from them. I mean, United were in a really difficult position, but we made them look even worse than they are. So for me, I just, it just, everything feels disjointed at that club. You could talk about an hour about what's going weird and strange at that club, but it just feels like he just doesn't know what his best squad is at the moment.
0: Well, Chelsea 11th. And we'll talk about some of the results from Boxing Day in the Premier League next. We'll see you after this. This is Football Social Daily, an award-winning Premier League podcast and we love the Premier League at Christmas. It's relentless, there's game after game after game. There was loads of games yesterday, there's a few games tonight, there'll be a few games tomorrow and that'll be the case right throughout this week between Christmas and New Year. But let's talk about what we know and that is some of the games that took place yesterday. What we know is that Aston Villa lost 3-2 to Manchester United. Newcastle, as Marley's already mentioned today, ended up being beaten 3-1 by Nottingham Forest. Let's start at Old Trafford though. Aston Villa went 2-0 up at the Theatre of Dreams on the day in which Manchester United fans found out that Sir Jim Ratcliffe, his 25% takeover of the Glazer shares in the club had been ratified. There'd be a bit of time, I think, before everything gets set into place, but it was an announcement that was very much welcomed by Manchester United fans, Marley. So it comes to game day. There's a renewed optimism around Old Trafford, but it's Highfly and Aston Villa who come to town and they end up being 2-0 up. And then the atmosphere drains out of Old Trafford and there's a few murmurs and boos at half-time with the score the way it was. But second half, United came out, they actually scored four goals because Garnachos was ruled out for offside and they really took it to Villa. And sometimes I wonder with Manchester United, where is that performance on a more consistent basis? Because they were a very good second half and they took it to Villa and ended up winning the game.
2: I have absolutely no idea where that come from. I could not see that coming at all and... Before the game, I think Villa were the underdogs with the um, with the bookies. Like I think there was two to one to win the game. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> um, and I was just like, that's printing money. Like of course Villa are going to win. Like Man United are nowhere near the the level. So I put put some money on. Luckily, I've got a that if if. Uh, a team goes two goals up you get the win so i i, I looked out on it because they were two 0 up after 20 minutes i was like boom like here we go happy christmas it was it was going as expected really you know two howler goals to concede with absolute minimal you know a, a defensive um capability at all for man united i don't know who's marking um uh who was it that headed it back across Lenglet it was yeah um, don't know who's marking him
0: and there's about 15 people on the line and no one can stop yeah, it going yeah and in.
2: still there's there's about 6 around Dendonka when he just touches it in as well and you know that was that was not even taken in, into consideration the first goal where John McGinn just floats well, one well let's in.
0: talk about that we got to we've got to because Leon Bailey sells Andre Onana an absolute kipper he stands behind him And there's nothing wrong with doing that. Actually, if anything, Bailey's in an offside position because he's beyond the goalkeeper. Onana looks over his shoulder and isn't really sure what's going on. The whistle goes. There's no contact from Bailey. He's not interfering with play because he's not in the line of sight of the goalkeeper. He runs off. The ball comes into such a dangerous area. And Onana stays put, doesn't decide to come. And I think Bailey has just planted that seed of doubt in Onana's mind. I think it's genius from him and genius from Villa. But again, you'd expect better. From a goalkeeper of his calibre?
2: I wouldn't. Because a goalkeeper of his calibre is the lowest calibre goalkeeper I've ever seen. He's I don't even think Bailey said anything to him. Bailey just stood there and was just like, okay, well, we'll see what you do here. And then, you know, it, it gets floated in and obviously he's like a rabbit in the headlights. He just stands and watches it. it doesn't doesn't come for it. it, doesn't track it at all, waits for a touch that doesn't come. And I was thinking them go, in them situations as a goalie, because you've protected by the referees just come and fly out and flatten everyone um and try and punch it and see what happens like he did against uh, wolves when he flattened Craig Dawson at the start of the season just see what happens um but he's uh he's made another howler and then he's got away with it I suppose but again he was he was he was poor again i think there's a couple of short passes he just stuck out for throw ins um and yeah if I, if I was buying Deer on the on the bench i'd be like how how could i not get a game in this team like what's going on here but it's fine they got away with it in the end but the second half was was completely i didn't see that coming from villa at all especially when they'd outfought arsenal and outplayed man city i thought there's no man united can't find that level to to turn them over in in the space of 45 minutes at all but they did they came back and you know poor defending from villa and Decent attacking from Man United, and it's ended 3-2, so they're back on track.
0: First defeat for Villa for a while though, so let's talk about them, Joel. We have spoken about them loads over the last few weeks because they've been in such good form, beating Manchester City, beating Arsenal, really iron up that top two in the Premier League, chasing down Liverpool and Arsenal. They're on 39 points, but they've now lost four games this season, which is the same as Spurs, one more than Manchester City. I feel like that loss has kind of burst the bubble a little bit in terms of Villa are going to win the title and in that sort of chat.
1: It was strange because when you look at the last five games I mean they beat Chelsea, Manchester City, Arsenal and Tottenham and they only conceded one goal from that. That form is you would say title winning contenders in in that sense. I feel like the way in which and the manner in which they've lost this game almost feels like they've gone down a level in terms of their intensity maybe in the management in game it felt like because at 2-0 when I was watching it I was thinking this game's dusted but then there was something at half time or just before half time where I was actually speaking to my friends during the game and we all said I feel like we're going to end up coming back from this because there was something in the game and it was, it's strange to me because Villa leave a very very high line and I'm surprised that in the last four games none of those teams have exploited them at all United, I know, are pretty much built for the counter-attack with their really fast wingers and quite deadly in terms of the transition. Whereas the other teams that I just mentioned, not really transitionary teams, they're more so the teams that would actually build and play and control the game. So I feel like it suited United really well to actually attack Villa's weaknesses. But in terms of where Villa are at, I actually liked at the end of the game when Unai Emery was getting interviewed and the interviewer said, what went wrong? And he was like, We're on 39 points. Obviously, he knew he was asking what went wrong in the game, but I think it was a way for him to remind his fans, guys, we're on 39 points. There's no need to panic at all. I mean, to go to Old Trafford, typically, maybe not this season, but typically it's a difficult place to go and get a result. And the fact that his Aston Villa side has just beaten the two top teams in England pretty convincingly, especially Manchester City. I mean, we were all lauding their praises about a week ago, saying how they just dismantled the Manchester City side. And now all of a sudden, because they get beat by United, things aren't looking as rosy. But I mean, you have to just take perspective of the actual situation, which is they're overachieving massively at the moment. And I don't even think there's room to panic at all. And I think Aston Villa fans, and I hope they're not, jumping to conclusions and thinking this is the end of our season this is a spiral because when you're on a really nice run and then you just have that little roadblock it feels like your season's in tatters and that feel-good factor's gone but I'm sure Unai Emery will remind his squad quite quickly you're in a ridiculously good position and I mean what better game to go back to winning ways than Burnley at home that's the perfect fixture to then go and absolutely smash a team so let's see how the result goes in the next fixture because I know they've not won in the last two games but with perspective they're, they're being unbelievable this season so yeah for any Villa fans that are listening sorry for your loss but I'm sure the next few games will go a little bit better for you
0: well from the top end of the Premier League table to the bottom we've already mentioned that Newcastle were beaten 3-1 at St James's Park by Nottingham Forest but I wanted to touch upon Nuno Espirito Santo Marley, who he said in 10 days at the start of his Nottingham Forest career could either be maybe seen as having one of the worst starts, you could imagine, or one of the best. Well, at the moment, he's gone one way, then the other. He lost the first game against Bournemouth, won the second game against Newcastle. How do you feel that he's done in the two games so far?
2: I didn't watch much of them against Bournemouth um, when they lost in the the last minute. I think Solanke scored in the last minute to, to kill them off, but obviously i seen them against newcastle yesterday for a full 90 and for for 45 they were genuinely terrible they were awful they couldn't get out their own half um they couldn't build any any possession or anything like that um white couldn't get into the game milanga looked a little bit of a threat to be fair um but the defending was was poor and i just thought this is going to be a nice easy routine win because there was no there's not there's just nothing coming from them but in the second half they you know how you've got to like you've got to knit together a counterattack on the fly pretty well. Like your first pass has to be calm and accurate to get out of to to launch a counterattack. You can't just hoof it and hope for the best. But every time they did it, they did it really well. Um so every time they won the ball back in their own defensive third, their passing to the final third for a and Hudson Adoy was was brilliant. It never went to Chris Wood to hold up, it went to the wingers to uh, to run up the field and um exploit Newcastle's last lack of a defensive midfielder to, to sit and mop those uh, mop those attacks up so they 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 got it together basically so um I would be interested to see how they go forward from here because they've got not an easy run I don't think um and we'll have to see sort of where the the, the level is because obviously they've they've uh, probably should have got something out of the the Bournemouth game in terms of result and didn't and then probably shouldn't have been allowed to get anything out of the Newcastle result, uh, Newcastle game but took their chances really well. So I will have to see what they do next and see where it averages out. But in terms of first-half performance to second-half performance, if that was Santos' um, influence and making them play that little bit better, then then that's a good sign.
0: Well, obviously Nottingham Forest with a crucial three points to get them further clear of the relegation zone, although the gap is now just two points between Forest and Luton Town because Luton have won their last two games against Newcastle United on the 23rd of December. There's a running theme here, isn't there, Marley? And against Sheffield United yesterday in a crazy game with loads of own goals. They ended up winning it. Now, obviously, we discussed on the podcast a few days back before Christmas about the sad collapse of Tom Lockyer who suffered a cardiac arrest on the pitch. Now that seems to have really galvanised Luton Town, Joel, who are still in the relegation zone but now the gap to Everton is just a single point. As much as that's a terrible incident for any of those people involved with Luton to go through and we still wish Tom Lockyer all the best, it seems to have really energised the club and given them this extra determination and they've won their last two matches and now they can see safety in their sights.
1: Yeah, it almost reminds me of when Denmark had to respond following Christian Eriksen's incident and then they ended up going really far in that Euro tournament. They looked really inspired, like they had a purpose to actually go and play those games for their teammate. And I'm not saying that this is the reason, but like you've just said I'm sure it is a reason for them coming out in the way in which they have. I mean, if you want three points, just play against Newcastle United at the moment and that'll get your season right. Here it is, (laughs) But In all seriousness I mean The best way I'd describe Luton Is just plucky Like they have a bit of heart About the team Which I didn't think They would have Because I know At the start of the season We all described Luton as Are they going to get more points Than that Derby side Who went down And are they even going to be able to You know Get out of their own heart. They've done that They've done that now They did
0: that by beating Newcastle Didn't they Marley (laughs) And you were the one That said it
2: Oh God The disrespect
0: man No I mean I, I don't want to brag too much I tipped Luton to stay up and... It's not up in yet. I, I, was, I like to think with the, the way the table looks, they still could, but I think Everton are just a much better side than any of the other teams down there at the moment. So that 10-point deduction has kind of changed things, hasn't it?
1: I'm thinking that Crystal Palace are going to start to get dragged in this, to be honest, with the way in which they're very inconsistent. I mean, I know we talked about Santo coming in and I, I felt last week when we talked about it that he was probably the best choice after Cooper was to go just to stabilize things and just even if he's worth nine points in his first month or so it's probably enough just to steer the ship to safety you would think I just think with Luton I I just really like how dogged they are they don't go down without a fight especially at Kenilworth Road I mean when they just played Manchester City got beat 2-1 just played against Liverpool just got that one-all draw when uh, Luis Diaz scored. They don't go down with a battering. I know at the start of the season, I felt like it was a little bit of an ad- adaptation phase for them. I think they were a little bit overwhelmed. Uh, the novelty of the Premier League was a bit too much. They're probably taking pictures of all the grounds that they've just been at in the first three games, but now it's down to business. And I feel like they've really settled quite nicely. And like you've just said, I know Everton have a little bit of a caveat, which is that they should probably be on 26 points if you want to go down that kind of rabbit hole. But the facts are they're just behind that Everton side. And I think for me, they need to be watching that Palace side 100%. I think they're a team that can be really dragged into it. But for for Luton, I think they're overachieving again. I know we're at just the halfway point now. And well, just below for Luton, they played 18 games, 15 points. Let's say you were to double it for argument's sake. 30 points wouldn't be enough, but I think their second half of the season is going to be way better. I think, like I mentioned, the first few games, they were adjusting in terms of being in such a new environment, high-level environment. Now, let's see how they are in the second half of the season, but honestly, they've surprised me. I thought that Burnley and Sheffield, especially Burnley, with the money that they spent would be way more attractive, a little bit more harder to beat, but actually, it's been looting. So it just shows, you know, the manager's done a great job in giving them that spirit and the tactics to be a really difficult side to beat. And who knows, Champions League might be on the horizon now.
0: Well, at least when I predicted Sheffield United to go down, there was some chance of that happening. They're bottom <laughs> of the table. The other two I picked to think were West Ham and Fulham. West Ham are 7th Wow. <laughs> in the <laughs> There's standings. Still time. There's still time. And Fulham are 13th. <laughs> I know, they need a Christmas miracle for that to happen. But you never know with the Premier League. That's why we love it. But we did have a good inkling that Sheffield United might struggle this season. Marley, they've obviously sacked Paul Heckingbottom recently. They've brought in Chris Wilder, got a decent draw against Aston Villa. But in the second game, which was yesterday against Luton, a couple of own goals has cost them the match. He'll be disappointed, particularly with the game being against Luton Town, a relegation rival. Their gap to safety is now seven points. And yes, as we say, the game's come thick and fast and there's still loads of time left in the season. But it's just hard to see, particularly with Manchester City, their next game just where they're going to pick three points up from yeah
2: i i think they've got better since wilders came in um obviously like you know they beat they beat brentford and you you sort of need a result quickly um however it comes but i, I feel like you know when they, when even when they lose games they're in the game a lot more than they were under heckenbottom and you you look at the heckenbottom results and you know they were getting beat 5-0 by teams they got beat 8-0 by newcastle and they are down tools after half an hour and they, they could have, if they had 100% try in that game and, and effort, they might have lost that game three or four nil, but they wouldn't have conceded eight. They conceded eight because they just give up. But I don't think like they do that under Wilder. And I think that comes in from Wilder's mentality and is he's, he's the fact that he's Sheffield United through and through and he won't let them give up. Um, so I think they are, they are more competitive. They're always going to struggle with, in terms of quality, um, I think if you look at Wes Fodringham in goal, as long as you've got him in goal, you've got a chance of conceding three goals in a game because the guy's flipping useless. He's completely horrendous goalkeeper. Uh, letting that one through his legs against Luton yesterday, where it's just tapped at him and he just fumbles it through his legs with his lettuce wrists. It's, it's crazy um, how many goals he's going to cost you this season. But they're in the game. They're in almost every game that, that, that I've seen them so far um and that's a good thing but you need to you need more than that cuz the the damage has almost already been done with with Sheffield United cuz they're they're quite far adrift at the minute um and it looks like goals are going to be a problem you know they've got many goals in the team even though I think Cameron Archer's a really good goal scorer they don't create enough for him um and McAtee's finding his feet a little bit in the in the midfield even though he looks talented as well but yeah I think um they're getting better but there's a long way to go. There's a big gap in quality between a team at the bottom who has a go and is competitive and a team at the bottom who has a genuine chance of of staying up week on week. So still work to do there for me.
0: All right. Well, I think that just about does it for our debrief of the Boxing Day festive fixtures. There's still loads more football to come and loads more podcasts to come as well between now and the new year. So why don't you hit subscribe or follow on your favourite podcast platform and that way you won't miss it. That's the best way to keep in the loop with what we do. Every time we release a new episode, you'll be notified and you can also join in in the Telegram chat. Lots of Christmas football conversations going on there. The link to which will be in the description along with all of our social media pages as well. All right, Marley, Joel, cheers for that. What's on the cards for the rest of the day? Or the rest of the week, I guess.
2: Uh, I I, don't, I actually have no idea, to be honest. I've got a couple, <laughs> a few days off. Um, I don't know what's going on. Probably just same as same as always. Eat all the leftover food. Have a little walk to try and walk it off, um, and then see family and stuff like that. Maybe, but. That's about it. Try not sounding like Barry White because I've done so much
1: talking over these last few five few five days that I really need to get back to my original voice.
2: Well, whatever you
0: guys are doing over the next few days, I hope you enjoy it and I hope you can enjoy it in the company of us as well if you need your football fix. We'll be there with you for the next few days. So make sure you don't miss any of the episodes. But from us for now, that's it. We'll catch you next time on Football Social Daily. Football
1: Social Daily is a
0: VoiceWorks Sport production for the Sports Social Podcast Network.